everybody, and welcome to the Workrate Podcast. This is our AEW review. I am Mike Fenn. I am not joined by Brad Hartcastle this week because today is Brad's anniversary. So happy anniversary, Brad. I am going it alone today, so this podcast will likely be a little shorter than normal. Um, okay, so uh, first let's get into the news this week. Um, the biggest news would be that the Adam Cole saga. So what has been going on this week is that Adam Cole has been, is reportedly his, his contract is up on Friday is what is being reported. And this is being reported by Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful, as well as through pro wrestling insider. And as well, I believe, um, Matt men are were what they were hearing is that the the word on the street from their the people they that they know is that he is it's not looking like he's going to sign with WWE or at least that's the the thinking that people within WWE have um I have not necessarily I haven't heard that from Sean Ross Sapp I did hear from uh or I did read from Pro Wrestling Insider that they do believe, or like from what they've heard, Adam Cole is leaving. So that would be fantastic news for AEW. It would be terrible news for actually, you know what? I want him to leave. Like I can't even. I don't think I don't think he will do well on the main roster. I think that would. I don't know why anyone would want to be on the main roster. I think he should join the elite in AEW. I think that would be fantastic. I think he knows that would be fantastic. The only thing is being somebody who grew up with WWF in the in the 80s and 90s, that would have been his dream to main event WrestleMania to win the world wrestling federation title um so we will see if that is what he chooses i am i'm with 75 percent. he's going to go with AEW. so we'll we'll find out tomorrow um on friday most likely actually we probably won't but um like he might show up on smackdown he might not we will see but tomorrow is uh, Friday is supposed to be his last day, so that's very exciting. It's not nearly the slam dunk that he's coming to AEW that uh, that Danielson or Punk was. So this this will be this will be interesting. This will be cool. Um, the next piece of information is Ruby Soho has been revealing her runaway videos on Twitter. And the second half, we spoke about it the previous week. The second half uh, dropped this week, and it had her at a convenience store, or outside a convenience store at a gas station. And at this gas station, she she steals a car, drives away, starts listening to music, and then essentially has like a little panic attack within the car. And then it cuts, and it says uh, says the runaway again. Um, who knows when we'll be seeing her in AEW. She's absolutely coming to AEW. Um, 
for people that did not look. And this was pointed out to me by um, Amy Nemedy online on Twitter, th- uh, who runs WrestleJoy. She pointed out, or through her Twitter, it was pointed out that the convenience store that was in the background of the Sunny Kiss Joey Janela video way like a year maybe year and a half ago that convenience store that was there was called soho and there was a gas station there and there were guys on motorcycles and those were the guys that joey janela and sunny kiss fought in in ruby soho's video those guys are there by the motorcycles at the gas station and she steals the car from that gas station. So it's within the same world. This is very cool. So AEW obviously looked back at that video, saw that the convenience store they filmed that at was called Soho. They're like, hey, you know what? Let's fucking use this. And that's amazing. I love that attention to detail. That's very cool. I'm not here seeing enough people talk about how cool that is. Um, it's it's great thinking. I love it. Um, okay, so on to Dynamite this week. This was, unfortunately, probably outside, for me, outside of the return to Daly's place where they had where they had the, the that like weird period where there wasn't fans and they were just milking it. I think it was on was it they were on Saturdays or they were they weren't on Wednesday and it was terrible and nobody liked it. It was three weeks of just bad, horrible, no good, very bad dynamites. This one wasn't quite as bad as those. But it wasn't great and this was a missed opportunity for them because essentially they have a captive audience right now because of CM Punk. People are tuning in because of CM Punk. They could have put their best foot forward and they chose not to like take their foot off the gas a bit. They just fucking like put it in neutral. This was, this was tough to watch. Um, I didn't dislike it. It was, it was okay to good, and some of the matches were very good, but for the most part, like everything was disappointing to an extent, and some of the stuff was downright bad. And on this card, I looked at this card on paper the other day in the morning, and I sent out a tweet saying, this is a prime example of this card is a prime example of matches that are on dynamite that do not need to be there that nobody is asking for that does not push any storyline any envelope there's no need for it. it's people from dark that nobody cares about and they're doing this instead of pushing women instead of pushing people of color instead of using any of the huge main event quality roster that they have they're pushing the gun club they're pushing the factory they're pushing the wingmen like what the fuck are you doing i'm sorry but this is this like this is like change the channel type stuff and if i wasn't a diehard 
And if I didn't do this podcast, I would potentially change the channel. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was on my phone. I was scrolling through Twitter. I was I was doing other things. I don't even know what happened in the, the gun club factory in the gun club versus the factory match. It was, it was just bad. Um, okay. So let's move on to the first match of the show. So with this, we had Hardy, Matt Hardy versus orange Cassidy. This match was a match. I did not want again. That's going down the same trend, but it was a good match and the crowd was really good for it. And they won me over by the end of the match. Um, Hardy and Cassidy are both always over. They're very over with the crowd. It starts. It's very funny. You've got Matt Hardy and orange Cassidy dueling with the deletes and the lazy kicks um, going back and forth. The crowd's popping for it. Then Matt Hardy does something that's really great. He puts up his hands and he puts them in his pockets. And when he takes out his hands, it's they're filled with money. And he tries to give the money to Orange Cassidy. Cassidy does the uh, the the drop down, bounce off the ropes, double drop kick to the chest with his hands in his pockets. The money goes flying. Then he tries to to pocket a few of the bills. That was really cute. Um, Matt Hardy, I thought this was one of his probably one of his best matches on dynamite like bar none aside from the christian cage match this is pro and i guess the darby allen match that he had like this is right up there those are i think these are those are his three best matches um gotta give him credit for for laying out a really good match he knows what he's doing he's i mean he's a og pro at this at this point like uh of course he would know how to lay out a good match um yeah, uh, Hardy busted a gusher at one point in this match. He he took a crossbody from Orange Cassidy, and his his nose had to be shattered because his he had a crimson mask going, and it was uh, really added to the to the match. And Cassidy ended up winning with a hands in pockets roll up for the one two three. I thought this was a lovely bit of entertainment, and at the time, I thought it was. Or, I mean, it was regardless, but it was a really good start to the show. I was like, okay, here we go. They are, they're pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Um, they've done this a few times when the card looks a little lackluster. I would, if I had to score this match, I would give it four stars. I thought it, I thought it was really good stuff. Then we had, in the next segment, we go into a Malachi Black promo. and. Black, he essentially, he agrees with Arn Anderson. He says that Brock is in over his head. So he's willing to do Brock a solid, and he's going to allow him to apologize to him and then roll roll his ass out of the ring and take the 10 count for the loss. And he says if, if for whatever reason Brock decides that he actually wants to fight, Black is going to destroy him he's going to destroy his father he's going to destroy dustin he's going to find wherever cody's hiding and he's going to destroy cody he's he's going to just kill everybody in the nightmare family so is a um fair warning so i thought this was cool um this was one of his uh just like uh close-up shots of his face uh vignettes his the whole side of his face is side of his face is black now really highlighting that the that his eye is deteriorating 
I thought this was cool. This was good stuff. Um, I I'm really enjoying these promos from Black. I I liked that the crowd wasn't too loud while he was doing it this time. I appreciated that. Okay, so now we move on to Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho comes out to the ring. He's reveling in his song this time. The crowd's going crazy. His song is there. They're singing Judas. Um, And then he says that he has lost to MJF three times. He's 0-3, and on the third time, he tapped out. And this is an embarrassment to him. But And he, he just can't let it go. He will not give up. He needs to beat MJF. He needs to beat MJF. He needs to beat MJF. It's his mantra now. At this point, he's going crazy. And he says that the way that he's going to make this happen, the way he's going to get MJF to accept this match at All Out is that if he loses, he will retire from wrestling within AEW. So what this does is that it allows him to shift over to commentary if he were to lose. So that's a smart little piece of booking there on AEW's part. MJF's music hits. MJF comes out and he he tells Jericho that, man, why won't you leave me alone? I, I was sitting in the back. I do not want to hear from you. I've beaten you three times. I'm better than you and you know it. Yada, yada, yada. However, the prospect of being able to, rec- to retire Chris Jericho is very tempting. In fact, it's too tempting for MJF to pass up. So yes, he will happily face Chris Jericho and he will happily retire him. And that... I think if he were to do that, that would be a massive feather in the cap of MJF. However, I do not see that happening. And I, for that reason alone, I'm not happy with this fourth match happening. I think that their third match should have had that stipulation on it. And Jericho should have retired from wrestling in that situation. I'm kind of... At this point in his career, I'm kind of done with seeing him. I don't want to see him taking the spot of anybody else at this point. Almost everybody else in the company can wrestle a better match if uh, if Aja did properly in the structure of it. Um, I'm just... Uh, I'm not up for this, but if they do do the swerve, and if Chris Jericho does lose, I'm happy for it. I'll be happy for it. I just hope that he would calm down a little bit on commentary. Okay. So now we move on to the Varsity Blondes. So, sorry, this is a Varsity Blondes cut, a small vignette before the Lucha Bros promo. And this is is as white meat baby face as you'll see. Um... They're standing there with their Letterman jackets and they're talking about how blood and having the same last name doesn't necessarily make you family. I guess they think that having Letterman jackets and blonde hair makes you a family, which is <laughs> um, Pillman says that their bond is thicker than blood and that their goal is to go from the number one ranked team in AEW to the finalists in the elimination tournament. And I like that they mentioned this because it highlights that the prize in this 
tournament is a steel cage match against the Young Bucks, which is which is honestly that's breathtaking. That's like a that's a dream scenario. I can't even remember the last tag team uh, cage match that I've watched. So I'm super excited for this. And I believe it's going to be Lucha Bros um, winning this tournament, but we will we will see. Um, I guess I just spoiled the next match, but if you're listening to this, you probably watched already. So let's move right into that, and that is the Lucha Bros versus Varsity Blondes. Okay, so I actually thought this match was great. Um, it it wasn't the cleanest match in the world. It had a bit of a chaotic energy. Um, this led to a couple uh, miscues where the timing wasn't quite right on some of the uh, multi-man moves, but not in a way that I thought ever distracted from the match. Um, the blondes, I thought this was... In my opinion, I thought this was their first great match um, in AEW, or at least on Dynamite. I thought they were there was a really nice contrast in athletic styles at the beginning between Griff and Phoenix. They were kind of they were going back and forth, one upping each other with uh, Griff Garrison, Griff Garrison, Griff Garrison with his strength, and Phoenix with his agility, flipping off Garrison's shoulders when he would pick him up for a Samoan drop and all kinds of cool little things and then they would tag out um and then the two thick boys of the two teams came in and they just slapped the shit out of each other um Pillman slapped Penta in the face when he was doing the Sieto Merida the Sieto Medo um I really loved that they they chopped and kicked the hell out of each other it was stiff it was loud it was brutal I loved it um Pillman's Babyface fire, which he learned from his father, got him into trouble multiple times in this match, which I liked. Like he would be clapping, trying to play the crowd, and then he would get caught or get his hair pulled or get tripped or what have you. And I thought that was quite effective. Um, as the match carried on, it, things got a little ugly. Um, and I say that in terms of the timing between the two teams. They, they didn't. They weren't quite hitting their spots. But I thought aside from one missed uh, multi-man spot, which I don't really know what they were trying to go for. It was one of those crazy Lucha Brothers moves. I don't even know what you call them. Um, I, I actually thought that they're, that the ugliness kind of added to the real fight feel of the match. And I'll always talk about how if you can properly transition from little miscues or little botches, actually think sometimes it enhances the match a bit like it makes it look makes it look like a struggle and fights are a struggle and i think sometimes the lucha bros matches can use some of that um i thought phoenix's assisted tope from penta was amazing where he just fucking yeeted him over the ropes onto the varsity blondes on the outside pillman hit a deadlift powerbomb counter on Phoenix at one point, which was amazing. Like Pillman has been putting in some work at the gym. He is a big, big boy now. And it's good to see, um, the Lucha bro. I really liked seeing the Lucha bros implementing a lot of super kicks near the end of the match. Cause to me, this is kind of a call out or a shot at the bucks. 
which I really like to see. Like they did a a double tandem super kick, which I'm I know for sure I've seen the Bucks do to finish somebody off recently. It's not it's also not that dissimilar to the um, BTE trigger. Um, yeah, I, I just I really like that. It's kind of I think it's that's kind of a hint that they're going to be the guys to face the Bucks. Um, then they did. A really cool. They've adjusted the assisted pile driver, and I think it looks awesome. Um, so they win the match. They pile drove Pillman's head right through the canvas. Then you got Jurassic Express. They come out of the crowd and they come in to both congratulate and stare down the Lucha Brothers. And then the Bucks and the Elite, who were watching the match on the ramp, they come down and they. They come up on the apron behind Jurassic Express and they shove them into the Lucha Bros and then duck down and pretend that they that they uh, that they're not there and this is to get the uh, the two teams going into the next round to fight each other. But they're not idiots. They turn around, they see the elite, they're like, no no no. We're gonna do uh, they they kick the elite off the off the apron, then they do a tope onto them, onto the floor. It's good stuff. I really liked it. Um, they're not going to get outsmarted by the uh, by the elite, who are kind of bumbling idiots at this point, lovable bumbling idiots. So I really like to see that. I thought this match was good, a little rough. I could understand if people thought it was a little botchy, but I thought it was uh, quite strong, and I thought... A highlight on the show. Okay, so next we have a match that honestly, this is going to be a major talking point of the show. This was Jamie Hader versus Red Velvet. Unfortunately, it's a talking point because of another nasty looking botch by Red Velvet. And again, I think botches happen, it happens in every promotion. Like, it's it just is what it is. Um, I think you just got to move on. Um, the one thing I will say is I hope that Red Velvet can maybe slow down a little bit. Um, she seems to get herself into trouble when she moves a little too fast, and she puts herself puts herself in some compromising positions as a result. Um, I really really loved the work of Jamie Hader in this match. I thought she looked like a main eventer instantly and I thought she looked like a main eventer when we saw her um what is it like almost 2 years ago now um in the first month of Dynamite. I thought she looked fantastic then. She looks even more fantastic now because physically she's just completely different than she was. Um and we know she can work because she held the, the tag team titles in stardom. And they don't put belts on people who are not deserving. So, yeah, that just tells you all you need to know about her work and how stiff she can work, which was a major highlight of this match. Um, yeah, I th- I thought Velvet and Hater they weren't really in sync in this match. They were kind of... Especially along the ropes, they seem to not quite really be uh, on the same tempo, if that makes sense. Um, Hater's work, as I said, looked really stiff. Looked as 
honestly as stiff as anybody's in the company, which was, it's good to see as long as it's safe. Um, Velvet did, Velvet actually had two really nice topes, and I thought Jamie Hayter caught her perfectly on both of them, like, like made it really, really safe for Velvet, which in the past was the, was a problem where she landed on her face that one time when uh, I don't know if she misshot the tope or if the person catching her didn't quite catch her properly, but Jamie Hader like caught her and just took flat back bumps on her back. Really safe stuff. I really liked seeing that, which is funny because of how this match ended up. Um, there was a couple really brutal post and barricade shots from Jamie Hader where she, it looked like she just absolutely rang the bell of red velvet, which could have led to the, to the moonsault botch, which we're getting to. So red velvet goes for this standing moonsault overshoots Jamie Hader and lands right on her face. Um, it looked really brutal. Thank God. She's very flexible, but Jamie Hader, to her credit, pops right up, gives two heavy overhand shots to the back of Red Velvet, picks her up, hits her with like a Uranagi choke slam backbreaker on her knee, and then hits Red Velvet with a lariat that would make AJ Gray proud. She just cracks her so hard, sends her flipping through the air, landing on her face. Um, I so, and that obviously got the three. Um, I love the way Jamie Hader was able to recover the botch; it made it seem real. And as I said, sometimes in fights, your moves don't work out right, and the victor can see the mistake by the opponent, capitalize on it. So I didn't necessarily think it made the match any worse. I did feel bad for Red Velvet, though because obviously that's got to be a kick to the psyche, to the ego. Um, you know she's hearing it online, so I hope she's doing well. I hope uh, I hope she doesn't have a concussion. She really got laid out by Jamie Hayter there. It was uh, like that ending was all kinds of ugly in both good and bad ways. Um like one of the more brutal finishes I've seen in a long time. I love that she's using a big lariat, sort of like um, Bradshaw would use the the lariat from hell or the clothesline from hell. I like calling it a lariat. Um, then in the post match, we had Jamie Hader and Britt Baker, and I guess uh, Rebel. They're beating down Red Velvet. And Chris Statlander's music hits. She runs out. She she knocks Hater and what's her name Rebel out of the ring, and then she and Britt are staring at each other. They're having a standoff. Uh, Statlander goes to hit one of her big moves on her, but uh, but Britt is able to scamper out of the ring, grab her belt, and flee. I am um, I'm really excited for this match. Um, at the at all out, it's going to be Statlander versus Britt Baker. I think it's going to be really good. I hope they don't try and do too much. Both of them are really good when they stay within themselves, and I think they do. They'll do that. I know they're capable of it. 
Um, but what I'm really, again, I can't say enough about Jamie Hader. I need Jamie Hader to get into the main event picture expeditiously. It needs to happen. Um, whatever her storyline with Britt Baker, that needs to play out. She can be the the heel against or the heel against the face Britt Baker, and then that can be their transition, and then Bob's your uncle. Um, yeah, I I think she's so fucking good, and I hope that she holds a belt within the next year. Um, I like honestly, I think she's probably a better wrestler than Britt Baker. I think I think she's up there with Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb in the company as the top wrestlers. So that says all that says all I need to say. Okay, so the next segment we have the Dark Order. And this is the the Dark Order is in turmoil. They're backstage and Evil Uno, he's talking about how families fight and they face obstacles. And the Dark Order, they had their own obstacle last or last time we saw them when Uno and Grayson were in a match, but the rest of the Dark Order wasn't there to second them to the ring or to accompany them to the ring. It was just uh, Colt Cabana, if I remember correctly. Um, and Evil Ono says that the Dark Order, in the Dark Order, we support our friends. And then Alex Reynolds is there and he starts laughing. And Uno says, Alex, do you have something you want to share? And then Alex tells him that he blames Uno and Stu for Hangman getting beat up. And he says, you guys did not have his back in that moment, and we have not seen him or heard from him since that happened. And then Uno, at this point, steps over the line. He says um, that he made a decision that was right for the group, and then he tells Alex to step behind John Silver's shadow where he belongs. And immediately you can see Evil Uno recoil. He says, oh my god, I can't believe I said that. He immediately apologizes. But it's too late. The beaver boars, the beaver boars, the beaver boys storm off. Uno is, he's shaken. Um, Alex tells him that you're not the leader of the Dark Order and you need to stop acting like it. And then everyone else in the group says, hey man, you, you fucked up. We're a family that wasn't cool and it's not cool. And I 1000% believe that hangman is going to be the person to come in and to heal the dark order. As I said, he will lift himself up and then he'll help lift up his friends. And that will be fantastic. And I heard from Brad, he thinks that he thinks the exact same thing. This is very exciting. Um, I guess uh, I don't know if if uh, Adam Page's child is born yet. I uh, I get I assume we'll probably be see we'll be seeing him after All Out, probably heading into the Arthur Ashe Grand Slam show. I think I don't know. That's what I'm hoping. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's something to look forward to. Okay, I'm actually I'm going to take a take a quick break to get some water and I'll be right back.
Okay, and we are back. All right, so now is the moment that everybody was waiting for, and honestly, the moment that likely saved the show from completely going down the shitter. Um, so here we have CM Punk, who, I mean, I'm just going to CM Pop. He got a huge pop here. Um, he comes out, he gets that the huge pop that you expect him to get. He gets to the ring and the fans are chanting CM Punk. Tony Khan can't, or Tony Khan, Tony Schiavone can't even get his questions out. CM Punk has to tell the crowd to maybe just simmer down a little bit, let Tony get his questions out. And then Tony's able to ask him, you know, what What brought you back? What brought you back to wrestling? And he looks around and he says, you know, it's it's pretty obvious. And he starts listing the names. Penta, Jungle Boy, Hobbs, Pillman Jr., Phoenix. And then he says, most of all, Darby Allen. And he says, 15 years, 15 year, or he said, 15-year-old Phil would have loved Darby Allen. He would have loved Darby Allen's size, his skill, his drive, his never say die attitude, his heart, the fact that he's out there skating, skateboarding to the ring, to the beat of his own drum. He's a rebel. He does not care about his own body. And he he'll do literally whatever it takes to be the best in the world. And he says that when he looks at Darby and when he looks at all the other young talent, he has to ask him he has to ask out loud to himself, can I still be the best in the world? And at this point, the crowd starts doing the yes chant. They're going, Yes, 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 yes. And then he gets he pauses, he gets a coy smile on his face. You can see he's thinking about it. And then he says, that's someone else's shtick, and you may have to be a little more patient, okay? And then the crowd goes insane at the Daniel Bryan reference. And at this point, Punk, his mouth opens up, he leans his head back a bit, and you can see that he's kind of like, oh, shit, what did I do? So I I don't know if he did this on purpose. I don't know if he teed this up, knowing that they were going to start doing the yes chant. But he basically, he just gave away the Daniel Bryant surprise, which is amazing. I absolutely love it. It is magnificent. Um, so now they can, now they can do hints to Daniel Bryan now until he comes and they can just redo this whole song and dance. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can just do what they did with punk and he likely doesn't have his own show that they, that they call the first dance or anything like that. However, like I said last week, I would call it the final countdown and I think that would be perfect. Um, yeah, I cannot wait. Again, I think that Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryanson, that, uh, fucking, what's his name? Brian Danielson will be the perfect mentor to a to a lot of the maybe not in kayfabe but to a lot of these young grapplers that they 
appear to have signed or that they want to have signed. And if they can get Lee Moriarty, there's a third one. And maybe they're holding off on Lee Moriarty until Daniel, until Brian Danielson's here. We will see. But this is all very exciting. And then we get to have a nice reunion match of Punk versus Danielson at some point. It's just fantastic. I love it. Okay, so now now we have Miro. And this is... Miro is... He's perfect at this point. He's pitch perfect. Um, And Miro, he's in his dark room. And he's reflecting on calling out Fuego for taking the easy road to get his contract. But he says that he was... He's forgiving Fuego at this point because he was reminded by God that there was an original sinner, Eddie Kingston, who famously got his contract also after a loss from Cody Rhodes. So Eddie Kingston's the first person uh, who committed that sin. So Miro would like to drag Eddie to the river and God will be happy and his wife will love him because he is champion. And he says, now bring me the Mad King before I burn this place to the ground, which is some straight Targaryen shit from Game of Thrones. That's fucking awesome. Again, Miro is pitch perfect. I love the man. I could use a little more of him wrestling on TV. I think he should just be destroying fools, but then maybe we don't get these promos. And honestly, I get as much from, I got as much from this short 30 second promo as I did from anything else on this show, if not more. So keep it up. Okay. Speaking of a match that didn't really do anything for, uh, for this episode, we had Darby, Mox, and Kingston versus the Wingman. And it sucks to think that a match with Darby, Mox, and Kingston had no real significance. Um, it was a fun match, but it was largely unnecessary. I couldn't really tell you any story that was pushed forward as a result of this match. And we are two weeks out from the pay-per-view. So this is a problem, um, very very inconsequential. The story of this one was basically the superpowers, the running wild all over the job squad. And they eventually isolate J.D. Drake, who looks amazing, by the way, in, that, uh, in the, the dress shirt with the overalls and the black pants. I loved it. Um, that is a look that I will always get over with me in wrestling. It's uh, It's been used a lot over the years. Um, okay, so Drake got isolated a lot in this match, and I believe that is because Drake is by far the best worker on the wingman. Like, by a long shot, he can take a lot of good bumps. He can give a lot as well. He is uh, he's by far the most experienced. Um, Darby won this match with a coffin drop on Drake after Moxley and Kingston and Sting uh, clear the ring of the wingmen, including uh, friggin' Peter Avalon. And then out of nowhere comes Daniel Garcia and he kicks uh, Darby in the back. He starts beating him down before everybody can get back in the ring and then 
Garcia runs up the ramp. So I like that they're that they're keeping that going forward for after the uh, pay per view. I assume. Um. So yeah, that I. In, that's good. But as far as the pay per view, they're really Kingston nothing, um, Moxley nothing, Darby nothing. It's sort of this match could have gone this time could have gone to anyone else. Like, I swear to you, I don't know why Pac or Andrade are not having matches. Andrade especially needs the work. People have been, in my opinion, a little harsh on him, but he needs to get the ring rust off, so he needs matches. I watched an incredible match between Dante Martin and Anthony Bowens this week on Dark Elevation that blew my pants off like so innovative you could have slotted that anywhere on this card and it would have been better than what was on this card just very disappointing stuff like i just i don't like seeing darby mox and kingston wasted like that like they should feel special and this is the type of match that takes the sheen off of them okay oh Moving on to this next segment. This next segment was kind of crazy. We're really blurring the lines between kayfabe and real life here. And this was a promo from Dax and eventually Cash. Um, and Dax is telling us that the nerves in in Cash's arm are no aren't working properly at this point from that gash that he he got a few weeks ago in. Uh, in Carolina. He said that FTR might not be able to wrestle uh, full-time or even part-time going forward, but he says they will have one match. He can guarantee us one match, and that's against Santana Ortiz because they need to settle the score, and he knows that they can have that match because he got the okay, and then out comes Cash, and he says that he may not ever be the same. He's saying that his his nerves aren't firing the way they should be. His hand isn't quite closing properly. Um, but he says where he can, where he comes from, you rub dirt on it, you wrap it up, and you keep going. And they're going to be coming for their pound of flesh. And I thought this was amazing. It was brutal. It was honest. It's scary. To think that FTR could be done. And after the show, Cash posted a picture of the arm just com- showing the complete gash afterwards. And I swear to God, it's the most disgusting thing I've seen in my life. It is more revolting than anything I've seen in any horror movie. Like, it, there's. I did not know what I was looking at. It was absolutely horrifying and i'm i'm honestly shocked that he can wrestle next week at all and then they he showed another photo of him with the with the stitches and i've heard people say that the aw would be negligent if they were letting him wrestle um when he shouldn't be medically cleared and i really want to believe that but these guys are so good at what they do with their talking and those photos using those fucking photos. 
I truly believe that he that his career is in jeopardy right now. So kudos to them. Very impressive stuff. Very disgusting stuff. I'm looking forward to next week. We're getting that match next week. That's going to be great. Okay. So now on to a funny, a very funny segment between Kenny Omega and Christian Cage and Don Callis and Michael Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler, the whole shebang. Brandon Cutler's cold spray. So we have Don and Kenny and the and the Stooges come out and they're they're talking their shit. And then Christian Cage's music hits. Christian comes out and he says, you know what? I need to show the fans why I've been calling Don Callis a carny piece of shit. Roll the footage. And they roll a video of Christian Cage way back in the day, his first match in Canada when he had to have been like early 20s. Um, and this is at Don Callis's old promotion. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. And Christian Cage looks amazing in this. Um, he's got long, dark hair, kind of similar to Don Callis at the time. And they say that Christian was fantastic in that match. It was a highlight match. And then Don Callis fired him and never brought him back. And they interview somebody, and he says that Don Callis, it was two things. Don Callis was a little afraid of Christian taking his spot in the company. And also, he Don really wanted to focus on his protege, Kenny. And then it's revealed that the his protege, Kenny, was 10 years old at the time. And then the video ends, and Christian comes to the ring. And <laughs> and he says that he's not surprised that uh, that Don Callis was able to manipulate a ten-year-old kid, but he is surprised that Ken- that the adult Kenny Omega is still being manipulated by Don Callis, and then and then Kenny Omega loses his mind. He grabs the mic and he says. <laughs> He says, you think you know me? You think you know me, punk? Which is amazing. Obviously, that's a reference to Edge. That was piss funny. Um, Don then tells Nakazawa to hold his scarf. He rips off his pink scarf. He hands it to Nakazawa. And he tells Christian that you're... I'm going to tell you one thing. Right now, just like your whole career, you've always been second best. And then Christian loses it. He attacks them. He gets beaten down. And Kazarian comes out to make the save, setting up a match for Friday night at Rampage. And I will discuss that those match details later at the end of this podcast. Okay. So now we have... Let me take a take another little drink here. So now we have a promo from John Moxley in the back, and he's talking about the contracts that he sent out to Japan. He's gotten one of them back, just one contract, and it has one signature on it. And he says, it's not the one we were hoping for. It's not the one he was hoping for. It is Satoshi Kojima. 
And he says that he's kind of insulted that this old man thinks that he can go toe to toe with the great John Moxley. Come on, man. Mox says that he's going to crush his windpipe and leave him dying in Chicago. I and everybody else was severely dis- disappointed that it was Satoshi Kojima. But when you look at the situation in Japan with COVID, and you look at what's happening with New Japan with COVID, you've got their champion, Shingo Takage, is dealing, has COVID. Kenta has COVID. Bushi has COVID. So they, New Japan needs Tanahashi. They could not give um, AEW Tanahashi at this point in time. They need him for their matches. They're they're heading into the G1, which is their biggest tournament of the year. They need Tanahashi in that tournament. They need Tanahashi to help hype up the tournament. They need the ace of their company because their champion's gone. Their top heel's gone. Um, Jay White is in America right now. <sighs> like They're kind of fucked right now. So uh, they need all the help they can get. So it just is what it is. It's a global pandemic, and sometimes shit doesn't happen the way you want it. Okay. Now, I will never put disrespect on Kojima's name. He has held both the NJPW and the AJPW titles at the exact same time. He's He main evented New Japan Pro Wrestling at a very hard time for the company when they were on the one of the biggest downswings of their of uh, of the company alongside the our our good murder grandpa friend that we've seen blue justice already um so i think i can't i've never been excited for satoshi kojima match however i know that this is going to be a good match they are going to make a match that will feel that will feel special by the by the time the bell rings at the end for the one two three um it is what it is um it's not who moxley wanted it's not who any of us wanted but it'll be good and uh it's a situation that it was out of their hands so Got to suck it up and move on. Okay. <laughs> Talking about sucking. Um, the next match, we have the Gun Club versus the Factory. And this match should never have been on Dynamite. This match shouldn't even be on Dark Elevation. At best, you can put it on Dark. Um, this match should have gone to... This time should have gone to a women's match to building up Statlander maybe for her her match with Britt Baker or maybe even I don't know somebody who's not a white man like get somebody who's not a white man on TV maybe possibly um like honestly all this did was highlight good faith good faith criticism of nepotism within this company well, this is like exemplified by Colton Gunn's record, which I believe is 19 and 0 right now. He just goes on dark and does not lose with his fan. What's the point of having to, like you're supposed to help these guys learn 
you need to teach them how to lose as well. Like Goldberg always said that when he finally lost, he had no idea what to do. Like you need to learn how to lose too. That's part of the, the I don't know. The gun club is that's the only, when people talk about nepotism in AEW, that's the only time I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like the definition right there, the gun club, like three guys who have no losses. I think, uh, cool. I think, uh, the middle gun, whatever his name is, um, he's got one loss. Billy Gunn's got like two or three, and Colton's got none. It's ridiculous, and they have they get so much airtime on Dark. It does not make any sense. It, this again, this should not have been on Dynamite. It it really left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I'm not even. I'm not even going to really talk about the match. Um, Paul White distracts QT. QT gets rolled up by guess who? Colton fucking gun. Um, not good. Not good. Moving on. Dan Lambert. Okay, so Dan Lambert's out there. He does his usual shtick. Um, this time it's a pre It's a pre-taped. Um, Jim Cornette promo, and he's flanked by Men of the Year. Once he's done doing his Jim Cornette impression, he uh, he talks up how the Men of the Year he talks up the Men of the Year's mixed martial arts and karate backgrounds. Um, he says that these are the only real men in the company, and I imagine that this is heading towards a mat a match between with the two of them and Lance Archer. And who I can only hope is going to be Minoru Suzuki beside him. I think that has to be the case. Minoru Suzuki is in America. It looks like he's doing like three matches a week <laughs> with all the match graphics I see him in doing just obscure indies. It's amazing. Um, facing the who's who of the indie scene. I think that match is a is sure to happen. I, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a shoo-in at this point, but you never know, because I thought Tana was as well. But Minoru Suzuki is not in the G1. He is in North America. We are getting this match, I believe. And also, I should say, with the Tanahashi match, Tana has said that he hopes to be in North America once a month. To, to wrestle. So I think we're going to be seeing him at some point. Um, maybe it'll be after the G1 though. So it won't be for Arthur Ashe. It'll be, uh, it'll be sometime after that. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Okay. So now we move on to the main event. And the main event was Brock Anderson versus Malachi Black. And I talked last week how I was. I thought this match was hilarious. I was really looking forward to this. And at this point in the card or on the show, I was still really looking forward to it. Um, uh, the they lead up to this match with with Arn talking behind the scenes, and he's he's talking about how he warned Brock, but Brock's a hard headed individual, and he's willing to lay down for his father just as. Arn would lay down for Brock. Um, 
he said that he's uh he's gonna go down swinging with his son and just like last time black's intro is amazing it has so much atmosphere the crowd is all for it um once the match starts brock actually does a double leg takedown and with some ground and pound on on Alistair Black, which is a little surprising. I like to see that, though. I like to see him get his licks in. And then Black responds with a big rising knee. Um, then he just starts teeing off on on Brock in the corner. Like, really, really cool. So you could hear the strikes hitting him, which was cool. Um, he clearly knows how to throw some worked shots. It looked believable. He actually did catch Brock in the in the forehead at one point, cutting him open, which... I don't know if they planned that, but it was cool as hell. Um, Black drags uh, Brock's, Brock over across the ring towards Arn, and Arn's standing with, there with the towel. He's ready to throw the towel in, and Black is begging him, yelling at him to throw that towel in. And he doesn't. Arn throws the towel on the ground. Brock tries to mount a comeback at this point by but essentially trying to um, punch at the back of uh, Black's knees. This doesn't work. He gets hit with an exploder, which leads to the Black Mass, which I think is called the Black Mass still. I don't even know if they've named it yet, but I'm still going to call it the Black Mass until they say otherwise. Um, after the match, in comes Arn. Uh, they they square up. Um, Malachi Black is holding a chair. He drops the chair. He goes for the Black Mass. Arn actually blocks it, which I didn't mind because he's been hit by it before. He's Arn fucking Anderson. He throws up the arm to block it. And then Malachi Black kicks him in the balls and then hits him with a Black Mass anyways, which I like that. It was kind of funny. Um, I thought it was cool. And Black's sitting on the... He's sitting on the top rope. He's he's watching them. He's staring at the camera, talking to the camera. And then Lee Johnson's music hits. And Lee Johnson comes into the ring. And Black strangely leaves the ring. And he does so calmly. So I would like to think that he didn't do it out of fear. But this did not hold up well with this. A lot of people did not like this ending. Um, I didn't love it because we've not seen Lee Johnson protected within the company. He's lost most of his matches. Um, Malachi Black should not fear him. He should not be getting out of the ring. He said he was going to hurt everyone within the Nightmare family. Why is he le- Why is he leaving? I don't know. Um Overall, I really liked the match, but it's not a main event. Um, And I thought this show not having a good main event really hurt it. Uh, Black is a huge draw, um, and the fans do love him. But I don't think anyone leaving that arena was thinking about this match, thinking about Black, or talking about it afterwards. I think they were probably more so talking about all the disappointments, maybe the Red Velvet botch, or the CM Punk talk, or 
other things with on the card. It's just uh, that's not what you want. You want people talking about the main event, and this this wasn't it, in my opinion. Okay, and sorry, I should just say overall, I thought this episode was a huge missed opportunity. It's uh, I don't think they'll lose anything in their ratings. And some people may watch this and be like, oh, uh, Lucha Bros were cool uh, watching them for the first time. Or the the Varsity Blondes were cool. I really liked them. Or Orange Cassidy is a huge, is a huge, huge draw. He's extremely popular. So maybe new fans or new viewers did watch it and they did like it. And I will say this. AEW at their worst is still better than what most WWE fans were watching on a weekly basis anyways. So if they're now coming over and watching AEW and they're thinking, and maybe AEW fans are thinking, oh, this is a missed opportunity. They won't like what they saw. Well, maybe they did like what they saw because it's still on par if not better, with what they've been watching anyways. Okay, so now let's look to what we have coming up in the near future. So first, let's look at the the all-out card. So we have, and this card, I still think it's good, but it's not great. Um, We have CM Punk versus Darby Allin. That's going to be awesome. I still think they need to uh, ramp up some story and some animosity for that match. I think they're a little too buddy-buddy for me at this point. I think uh, a shoe still needs to drop there, for me at least. Um, especially if you want to have the uh, CM Punk match maybe headlining the show as the main event. you got to have some animosity there. you got to have some juice. There's no juice there yet. Okay, then we have Dr. Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander. I actually, I'm really looking forward to this. As I said, um, I think they can pull out a standout match for that division. If they keep it simple, I know they can go crazy because I've seen them go crazy. Um, I think they have all the talent in the world. I think Chris Statlander is probably the... Actually, no, I shouldn't say that she's the more talented of the two wrestlers because I've seen uh, Britt Baker have some better matches than Chris Statlander, so I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. Um, I think that match is going to be great. Britt Baker is going to win. Let's be clear there. Um, but this, this will be very good. And uh, yeah, very much looking forward to it. Pac versus Andrade El Idolo. I think people are sleeping on this match. Um, I think this could absolutely steal the show. Um, Andrade, in my opinion, people have been a little hard on. I don't think he's been that rusty. I just think he's been building up to the to his big matches slowly. Like you don't want to give give everybody everything all at once. You gotta you gotta keep him wanting a little bit. He's only wrestled two matches. I thought his second match was far better than the first match. And again, I'm talking about his match on Dynamite and then his match in AAA. The match in in AAA versus Kenny, I thought was great. Um, I thought 
with the criticisms were very surprising to me about that match. Um, I thought he looked fantastic. I don't mind him wrestling a slower style because that's kind of his character. He's tranquilo, baby. Like, yeah, I think this match is going to blow everyone away. I hope it does. I mean, yeah. Okay, so then the then I, we also have Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage. I think I deleted that off my off my deck here. But yes, we have Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage as well. The story and the rivalry that they've built up just within the past two weeks has been awesome. I'm not going to lie. It is a rematch, but they've set it up that Christian Cage has set a precedent a precedent that he can beat Kenny Omega. And I think that's cool. Um, and the story has been really funny. I don't think anyone believes that Cage is going to beat Kenny, but he has done it already. So within kayfabe, he's capable. So that is, uh, that's cool. And I think they're going to put together a really good match. It should be better than their last match. Um, they'll be given more time to do it. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be fantastic. Um, and now we have the Casino Battle Royale for the women. And this is cool. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. More so to see to see who shows up. I think this is likely where we see Ruby Soho. I think she shows up as the Joker here. But you never know. Maybe someone else could. I have seen that Killer Kelly is uh, back in the States. She would be amazing in AEW. I believe she has some connections there. We could see some Impact women in here. I think we'll see some of the... I don't want to call them enhancement talents, but maybe Kylan King will be in there. So far we have Julia Hart, Big Swole, Allie, Thunder Rosa, Nyla Rose, Red Velvet, Hope her neck is okay. Um, Penelope Ford, Diamante, and Ty Conti. So that's awesome already. I'm sure we'll get a few. I'm sure we'll get Emi Sakura will be there. Riho will probably be there. I would love to have Jamie Hayter in there. And I think maybe Jamie Hayter winning that match could be perfect to just fast tracker right into that program with uh with Britt baker right away like Britt baker brought her in misplayed her hand by bringing her in and is now setting up her downfall i think that's a really cool fucking story to tell but i think it's likely it's thunder roses to lose at this point okay so looking forward to tomorrow which for you guys listening is probably today on Rampage, we have Kenny Omega and Brandon Cutler versus Christian Cage and Frankie Kazarian. That's going to be fun as hell, man. Uh, Brandon Cutler has been so funny. He's been an s- absolute star on Dynamite and, and Rampage lately. I can't wait to see what he does in that match. Um, this is going to be good. I can't wait. Then we have Jurassic Express versus the Lucha Brothers. That's going to be fucking bangers man i cannot wait for that um 
it will be a better match than Lucha Brothers versus Varsity Blondes, and I liked that match. Jurassic Express had a good, had a very good match with Private Party last week. They pulled out some moves that we've never seen before. That fucking Canadian Destroyer, or no, that was a Canadian Destroyer onto the Lucha Brothers. Whatever. Um, yeah, this this match is going to be fantastic. I cannot wait, and I think it again. I think Lucha Brothers win that. I think I think I see Lucha Brothers in a cage against the Bucks, and I think that is like that could main event any pay per view. Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks in a fucking cage. Are you out of your fucking mind? That's absolute fire. And then we have Ty Conti versus the Bunny, which I didn't talk about it, but they had a little confrontation on Dynamite this week. They were in the back and they were talking about how they were they're both in the Casino Battle Royale. And then the Bunny said to take on to Ty Conti, why are you why are you still hanging out with the Dark Order, which I thought was interesting because I haven't seen her with the Dark Order, but maybe on BTE she has been. Um, and she says, because they're my friends. And then she and the bunny offers her a contract to join the HFO and Ty Conti rips it up and then they brawl. So they're having a match on Rampage and that's awesome too. I really like that. That's uh, another way to get more women on TV. And I cannot wait because Ty Conti is legit. And I think she kicks the head off the bunny. So that will be great. Okay, so now looking to next week. So we have Dynamite next week. We have Tony Schiavone is going to have a sit-down with MJF. That'll be good. Jim Ross has a in-ring interview with Chris Jericho. That will be good. We have FTR. Hope, uh, hope Cash's arm is okay. Versus Santana and Ortiz. I'm really looking forward to that. I want them to make good on their match that got derailed. Previously, I think it will. I think uh, they're they're going to get it done. I'm really looking forward to that. Then we have Orange Cassidy versus Jack Evans. I am not looking forward to that one. That is that's another match. It doesn't need to be there. I don't know why HFO is on every card. They gotta stop doing that. Put anything else on anything. I do not want to watch HFO every week. They do not need to be there. Um, so it looks like they're continuing this feud with Orange Cassidy and the best friends versus HFO. And it's honestly, it is, it's dead in the water for me at this point. Um, I do not like it. Uh, something I do like, though, is Brian Cage versus Powerhouse Hobbs. I like that. And it's got Hook on the graphic and he's not wearing a shirt. And that's amazing. Um, he looks like Hobbs's son. It's cool. He's like a tiny little man back behind him there, but looking amazing and ripped. Okay, so yeah, I guess that is it. I have been talking to myself for an hour and 11 minutes, and my throat is killing me as a result. So I will see you guys later. Um, Brad and I will be back to record on i think we'll be recording on saturday on saturday or sunday 
for the uh, for the rampage uh, review. So we will we'll catch you then. See you later, guys.